episode 323, a short take on digital tools purporting to maximize throughput. Today, I speak with Ashad Rahim, MD, MBA, FACP. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. One way to spot a flashpoint is to notice when people are using different words to describe the same concept. Throughput is one example of this. On one side of the table, you have those who grasp that if a provider organization is concerned about patient outcomes, with few exceptions, building relationships with said patients is essential. It's not entirely clear to anyone, anywhere, how you manage to build relationships and trust without spending a certain amount of time with patients. These we-need-time-with-patients people will bring up the quadruple aim issues that arise from rigid seven-minute appointments or even 15-minute appointments, really. On the other side of the table, you have those who have built practice fiscal models on the backbone of however-many-minute appointments. They use different terminology for this whole concept, however. They call it throughput. How many patients can a physician manage to squeeze into a day? Some of these folks will tell you that throughput success is more is more. In other words, throughput is one of those things that you can never have too much of. Let me back up for a sec and mention the mission of this show. It is to connect healthcare leaders together by helping everyone understand each other well enough to communicate effectively, which is rate critical numero uno for any collaboration. You can't collaborate if parties don't really grasp what anyone else is actually saying when they communicate their whiffums, their what is in it for me's, or their organizational imperatives. If we consider that the healthcare industry can only transform when multiple stakeholders collaborate, these little, in air quotes, language discrepancies actually can have macro implications. In this respect, this throughput example, not in all cases, but at a minimum, it's an exemplar illustration and, and certainly something to contemplate. Consider people arguing against seven-minute appointments without mentioning the word throughput. They're probably not going to even reach the headspace of those who just spent the past two decades in meetings to increase throughput. It's like two ships passing in the night. You could be sitting there right now poo-pooing what I'm saying, but I've sat in enough meetings where people talk around each other using different terminology, think they've agreed on some collaboration or compromise or solution, except nothing happens because everyone got to walk out without addressing the elephant in the room. It sounds something like this. Doctor or nurse, we need you to enable patients to have quality time with their doctors and the rest of the care team. Somebody else, we need to get rid of inefficiencies, which means driving maximum throughput. Another person, okay, let's compromise. Doctors should have quality time while maximizing throughput. Don't laugh. I've heard, in quotes, action items like this often enough, and so have you if you think about it. That's why I originally started this podcast because I can also guarantee you, if this is the action item, no action will actually take place. The only way this conversation is going to net any change is if people around that table head-on confront that quality time with patients means less throughput. 
And how much less are we going to agree on? And or how are we going to creatively change the practice model so throughput is an archaic term, like i.e. asynchronous stuff, etc.? I say all this to say that this throughput business also leaks into the technology space in ways that we should probably think about. Increasing throughput, after all, is one of the key ways to increase FFS, fee-for-service revenue. FFS is all about the need for speed. The faster you can smack a billing code on a patient visit, the more patient visits you can pack into a day, the more billing revenue you can rack up. To some extent, throughput is code word for an addiction to FFS. You can always tell a tech vendor who is used to selling in an FFS environment because the second slide of their pitch deck is always one of two things. Either how much faster the tool will get patients in and out of a doctor's line of sight or what the billing code is for the tool, but that's a whole different topic. I just described the second slide in an FFS-centric technology vendor deck. The first slide in those use our AI thingamajig to revolutionize your throughput decks is always some mission statement about improving patient care. And this is where not everybody using the same language creates immense wiggle room for profit over patients under cover of mismatched terminology. To add one point of context, when I say throughput here, or increasing throughput, nobody is talking about making the front desk more efficient, minimizing faxing things around, or streamlining prior auths or duplications in the workflow, i.e. fixing things that are in desperate need of a fix. What we're talking about today are tools like the one I saw the other day. This biz dev person of this company was up and about early promoting some AI diagnostic tool. With this tool, so their slide deck promised, a physician could see... 50 patients a day. Even for this particular vendor, I guess a full-throated, hey, let's burn out all your doctors and make patients wonder if they imagine their doctor visit had happened so fast. You know, a blunt message like that presumed a little too much avariciousness on the part of the practice. So they tempered their message by stating the inarguable fact that there is a physician shortage in rural America and that this tool will help resolve that. Okay, that's a worthy thing to fix. But seriously, is the goal to get rural patients an auto-magical visit with a doctor that in hindsight they wonder if they hallucinated it was so fleeting? Or is it to actually help patients get better health? Also inarguably, healthcare that leads to better health requires less than pedal-to-the-metal throughput. If you think differently and want to change my mind, feel free, but show me the study. I say all this to say that I called up Arshad Rahim, MD, MBA, FACP a little bit ago to see what he thought of my aforementioned burning premises, aka rant, (laughs) about throughput. And he kindly agreed to come on the show again. Dr. Rahim is Senior Medical Director of Population Health at Mount Sinai. He was last on Relentless Health Value on episode 219, talking about population health for reals in the real world. Go back and listen to that show after this one if you want to hear more of Dr. Rahim's sage advice. Oh, one more recommendation. For more insights into the impact of maximum throughput, read the awesome op-ed in MedPage Today by Brian Klepper and Jeff Hogan. Link in the show notes. My name is Stacey Richter. This podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Dr. Ashad Rahim. Welcome to Relentless Health Value. Thank you. When does too much throughput start to negatively impact individual patient care, or does it? Yeah, I would say definitely, and there are studies on this, that it definitely can. 
I think there's a lot of factors as to the when. It depends on how many care delivery team members that you have, their roles, you know, appropriate skills for the very tasks. Some examples are one can look at if, you know, in a variety of different areas, if you just look at, you know, kind of a standard primary care practice, clearly it's best scaled if it's not the physician seeing and treating everybody. That there is essentially supported by advanced practice providers. And that can be, you know, a few different types of individuals. It could be a PA, it could be a nurse practitioner, it could be a pharmacist. And, you know, that allows for kind of proper triaging, proper diagnosis and treating and ensuring that everyone's working at the top of their license. It would seem to be if you have too much throughput and the patient can't get adequate care in that moment, then basically you're just shoving patients through the system who are going to wind up back in the system. Yeah, that would definitely be the case. You know, one area that also comes up when there's too much throughput and it doesn't get called out enough is really kind of the, the medical error of diagnostic inaccuracy. You know, with certain cases, if you don't have time to really delve into you know, what is the underlying diagnosis that really is there? And then also be able to kind of tailor the treatment plan, you know, as we're seeing that there's more and more different phenotypes of kind of various diseases. And why I would say that's, that's suboptimal care. If doctors see fewer patients, though, if we're speaking about this at a population health level, so maybe for the individual patient, if a doctor spends a ton of time with a patient, that particular patient's outcomes are better. But if we look at this from a population level and doctors are able to see fewer patients, does the outcomes from the population at large decline? Yeah, actually, you know, often in models where the physician or, you know, is seeing less patients and there's a, a strong pop health team that's supporting, you know, usually what will happen in, in those cases is that actually outcomes will improve. And it comes down to, you know, how essentially all the skill sets of the various team members are leveraged. You know, in pop health, especially now, you know, a big portion of it, and to be frank, the way you can also be financially successful is by taking care of sicker patients, which was different from what was, you know, happening in the 80s and 90s of potentially managed care 1.0. So in a way that may require less kind of, and it may not be less of a patient panel. It just may be less patients that are really directly managed by the physician, but by the care team. And and that includes, you know, the advanced practice providers that could be, you know, the actual number would be larger. And what do patients ultimately want and need from the physician or advanced practice clinician? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> Obviously, it, <laughs> you know, it somewhat depends on the, on the patient. But, uh, you know, a few thoughts I have there. One, I would say accurate and thorough diagnoses. Do you really understand what's going on with me? I think tailoring treatment plans to ensure buy-in and, and the likelihood of adherence and a better likelihood of adherence. That is definitely a science and an art, but extremely important and sometimes under-addressed. In general, there is an increasing focus on, you know, you're not just focused on treating me when I'm ill, but, you know, how can you keep me, you know, more and more healthy and focus on wellness and prevention? And then probably as important as anything, I think a lot of patients look for the interaction 
of someone that can provide a healing and calming presence because the, you know, the emotionality in a healthcare interaction is always there. And often, especially in a more kind of widget based model where you're just focused on throughput, you know, you can definitely lose the, the healing and calming presence between the physician and the patient. And it's also, I mean, even just for the doctor, it's such a, it can be such a hectic environment that it's, it's hard to be calm and healing. Absolutely. Yeah. And there is compassion fatigue, all those things that are real that drive burnout. But, you know, obviously they, we want to prevent those as well so that you can have those better interactions. And can technology contribute to any of the above in a positive way? Yeah, I think absolutely. Probably one area, it's not going to go away and there's positives and let's say not so positives, but, you know, EMR optimization to support all the activities to well complete a patient visit is is definitely still a huge area of opportunity. And there's still a, a decent variety, especially in the ambulatory settings of different EMRs and there's also different needs by, by specialty. I still think there's, there's a lot of opportunity across the board there that is, is probably an area that just needs to be further invested in. Because, you know, I mean, even though there is a lot of debate around this, I don't know if we're necessarily better off without an EMR. I think it's just the optimization piece that's been perhaps underaccounted for, and there needs to be a, a lot more time there. I think the ability to care for patients when they're not in the healthcare setting, you know, and all the technologies that drive that, and probably, you know, one area, especially that I've been more recently focused on is ambulatory chronic disease management. And ambulatory obviously refers to the non-clinical setting and the home-based setting as well. And so the ability to remote patient monitoring and the ability to integrate you know, with that technology as part of the care that you deliver over the 365 days in a year still can be a huge opportunity that's still being figured out. As they say, you know, it's not that physicians don't like technology. It's that physicians don't like bad technology. Exactly. Yeah. We're on the same page here. Yeah. What is it do you think that doctors need from their organization to really sustain a high level of care delivery every day without burning out, which is such an issue these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one just kind of bread and butter area, and I always like to use the kind of the Donabedian framework of, of driving outcomes. And if the outcome here is physician wellness, physician satisfaction, and we look at the structures and processes, you know, probably a core portion of the structure would just be the support staff in order to provide optimal care. And it, and it becomes, in every setting, whether it's fee-for-service or more value-based care, there is a need for you know, adequate medical assistant to physician ratios, other support staff, and other kind of really key members of the care team, you know, whether it's certified diabetic educators, whether it's clinical pharmacists, whether it's other advanced practice providers, people on the pure administrative side to to have that proper team in place is huge so that the you know the focus and of the physician can be in the areas where they're you know where they're best utilized and where they're most interested and most satisfied and and that's in problem solving and direct care of patients you know and procedures and surgeries as appropriate i think that another major component is just leadership that really gets it from that perspective and that 
understands just and values high-performing physicians and providers. And probably no one would say otherwise, but actions, the actions vary across the spectrum from very supportive to not very supportive at all. And I think there's just the general kind of understanding and value. And I think one core piece of it is obviously the replacement cost of good physicians. And then especially, and then the volume loss, whether you look at it as fee-for-service volume or attributed members to yourself within a value-based context. And that should be accounted for and that, that can be very expensive. Probably the last thing I'd say is just the understanding of pretty much in medicine in most fields, especially in the United States, you're going to work pretty hard. So, <laughs> you know, I, th- and I think the word is, I do like the word work-life integration a little bit better than work-life balance, because I think that there's going to be a decent number of hours that it's just important that I think the integration is easier to achieve than the, uh, than the work-life balance. And, and often that, that is not taken into account. And then Probably the last piece is, and especially in competitive markets and areas such as where I'm at in New York City, there's, there definitely is a challenge around competitive pay compared to your colleagues in other markets across the country. And that's obviously another, another key component that, leads to, that could lead to departure from organizations or departure from the geographic area as well. Dr. Arshad Rahim, thank you so much for being on the Relentless Health Value podcast today. My pleasure, Stacey. Had a good time. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.